and welcome back to the Marketing Mini Bytes podcast. Uh, today, I'm privileged to be joined by Simon Dent, who's a the sports business entrepreneur. How are you doing, Simon? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great. Good to meet you. I think um, one of the great things about having you on the show today is we've almost taken a different uh, angle with marketing. Um, you've got quite a, a very interesting career, I guess. Is it worth talking a little bit about you, what you've done in the past, what you're doing now, and just maybe give an open introduction for everybody? Yeah, certainly. Um, I've certainly been involved in a number of businesses um, that have marketing at the heart of them. Um, I suppose going back originally, I, I qualified as a lawyer um, many moons ago, but very quickly that wasn't a profession for me. Um, and pretty quickly I ended up sort of pivoting into um, businesses that had sport involved in them. Um, we'll come on to it, but everything from owning a sports memorabilia business and shop, um, I actually ended up um, promoting nightclub, which is promoting a number of nightclubs in London, which does have relevance later on um, when I became an agent. Um, it's where I met most of my clients. Um, and obviously after that, I found myself working and founding a creative agency called Dark Horses. And so, yeah, I mean, sport has always been at the heart of everything I've done, but marketing obviously involved in all of those industries as well. Definitely. And marketing is important, isn't it? When, when you're in with anything to when you, especially when you're running a business, it's how do I get out there? How do I talk to people? How do I get in front of the eyes of everybody? You need that in order to sell. Um, so I guess when you're looking at kind of, uh, as you are, as, as you were, or could be in the future as a managing football players, particularly, are there any kind of big names you can name drop? And, and more importantly, how do you get involved with these guys and how did you market and help uh, market these guys? Yeah, so as I said, I, I was um, working as a football and rugby agent probably around 10 years ago, um, had about 15 clients who I was managing um, and names such as um, Jimmy Bullard, Nathan Ellington, Nathan Eccleston, Roy Carroll, all probably names you're familiar with. Um, and yeah, very privileged to work with these guys, obviously at the time, all, all playing in, in the top flight and, and big name, big international players. Um, Really fascinating time. Obviously, the players were brands in themselves, but obviously, in by the nature of playing football, your sort of ability speaks for itself. Um, there was very much a wider marketing role to be done. Now, bear in mind, the era when I was looking after those guys was pre-social media, so that in itself had some pros and cons. Um, and yeah, when listen, when when trying to. Um, move players or shape the player's public or personal reputation, marketing plays a huge part of that. And obviously, if window transfer windows are approaching and you are looking to move a player, um, how you market the player to potential suitors is, 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 it was a big part of the job. I guess it'd be really interesting to understand maybe a step further how that all works. So I can imagine a lot of the marketers that may be listening today might be thinking, oh, I'd just stick a post on on LinkedIn or on, on Facebook. But in your world, it definitely doesn't work like that, does it? Do you have to build up more of a relationship with the, the clubs and the CEOs um, to you know almost sell in this player to them? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, these guys are brands. and But, but again, sort of back then, you didn't really talk about players as being brands. The, the world has changed massively um, in football in the last 10 years. And as you know, football changes every year. I think where we were at 10 years ago was that the players were encouraged to focus on what happened on the field. If any player um, sort of put their head above the parapet and was becoming a, a little bit um, developing a profile off the field, that would be frowned upon. 
Whereas you could probably make a very good argument now that if a player was playing very well and they also had a profile off the field, that in itself has value to the clubs. So yeah, the world's changed. But back then, certainly it was um, almost get your head down, um, perform on the field. But yeah, it was very much around building relationships with scouts, with CEOs, with managers. So there's a number of people that would be involved um, in the recruitment of a player. But obviously that isn't something, you know, you, you hear stories of last minute deals on deadline tra- you know, on transfer deadline day, but these are very, very rare. A lot of the work is put in months in advance. The clubs will do their due diligence on a player. And, you know, a lot more so now, even back 10 years ago, players were very much um, recruited on based on data. There's a lot more data available now. Um, but yeah, so there's a number of touch points where marketing and the packaging of the player is, is very important. That's really interesting. I, I definitely hear you on the, the kind of the, the stats front as well. There's so many stats and I, and I can probably go on for hours just looking at all the different stats that are available out there from player A to player Z. It's it's a bit mind-blowing, so I can, I can imagine it's quite tricky to get your head around when you're trying to sort of sell in a player. What, what's your kind of, when you were kind of managing a lot of football players, what was your favourite time of the year then? Was it transfer deadline day or was it another period when they're actually kind of on the field doing the work? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a good question because obviously to the, to the general public, deadline day is a really exciting day. I mean, it, it, looking yeah. back um, sort of nostalgically over the, you know, on deadline day, you do tend to remember the, the, the ones, the deals you get done and you sort of, you have to remind yourselves of the one where you're sort of stuck in a remote sort of British city at a train station trying to get a train home after something falling apart. So there was plenty of those occasions. Um, but no, I think I think the, the deadline day is interesting, but for the agent, it is, it's quite a schizophrenic way of doing business. Definitely wasn't my preferred way. And, and you know, I would much rather get my business done early in the windows, organise, um, get your ducks lined up. And yeah, I mean, it's in everyone's interest to get players settled early um, in seasons. Obviously, the January window is, again, not a great time to move players. But no, my, my favourite time as the agent was obviously just watching players develop, move on, hit landmarks in their careers, um, see the, the joy that brings their friends and family, be, being, you know, at games with family members when they make their debuts. Those sort of moments are the moments you remember. Um, mm-hmm. and they are few and far between. And, you, you know, I have to remind myself now that um, I'm helping a few players and managers at the moment with some bits and pieces. And it's sort of, these are the 0.001% of people who actually make it this far. And it, it's an incredible achievement they have made this far. So it's an absolute privilege to be able to help and sort of shape their careers. Awesome. Sounds great. And I know as well that you look after a few people that may be past the, the sporting side of the career, like Martin Afaya, and then you, you're kind of involved with the commercial interests of Chris Kamara and Jeff Stelling as well. So it'd be great to understand maybe a bit about how you help to market maybe those people that aren't uh, as involved in sports these days, or maybe people aren't actively playing on the field. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Martin and Jeff are great examples. I've worked with Martin Afaya for 17 years now, um, Jeff uh, and, and Cammy wow. for 10 years, and Jeff more recently. But... Yeah, I mean, someone like Cami, for example, it's an absolute privilege to work with him because he is such a, a likeable, authentic personality. He's had a fabulous career um, manoeuvring himself from football playing career to managerial career, coaching career, and then into Sky Sports. And that's now moved on even further into a sort of 
almost being a household name on, on sort of terrestrial ITV shows. So, you know, Cammy is a is brilliant to work with because, as you can probably tell through his social media, he's incredibly authentic and people want to align themselves with that. So whether it's um, with his Sky Sports deal, uh, ITV contracts with Ninja Warrior, um, having those sort of deals in place, he's, we're very lucky because there are a number of brands that want to align themselves with that. And again, as you know, brands, marketeers, head to marketing, CMOs are very interested in the authenticity. And so there are a number of brands that authentically fit with Chris. So yeah, I, I'm very sort of lucky in that regard. I, I get to sort of um, have a small amount of influence, but, but Chris is the one that does all the hard work. And actually it's, yeah, it's pretty easy. And, and likewise with Martin, I mean, Martin's been yeah. arguably one of the greatest names in rugby league um, in this country. And he's now sort of forging a path um, in the electric vehicle space with his own business. And it's sort of, again, it's someone who is incredibly passionate, diligent, hardworking. These guys are, it's, it's yeah, really easy to work with. Absolutely. I think that's something that shines through particularly well with, with sports people because they're so driven in what they do, no matter what they do. So if they're picking up a project that they're really passionate about, that's maybe past when they're doing their sporting career, you can tell straight away mm. they're so into it. They're so driven and passionate. And that definitely helps in terms of the yeah. authenticity as well. I definitely agree with you on that point. I was speaking to uh, you know some other people in other podcasts and they tell me about how it, industries and businesses now aren't just looking for person a to help drive x results they're looking for someone like you say to be authentic match the the tone of voice of the business match someone's kind of brand and identity and not just have someone in for the monetary gain and that's really yeah. really important i think in today's age yeah. and I, I totally and i think obviously with the age of social media there's a there's a there's sort of two buckets you can go down you can go down your sort of your influencer route or you can go down your established ambassador route and obviously um People like Cammy, Martin O'Fire, Jamie Peacock, Jeff Stelling, a number of these guys that I work with um, have had, you know, 20 year careers of being at the top of their game. Um, they're well established brands in themselves. And that is just that is appealing. Whereas obviously when you the sort of the age of the influencer and the reality TV star, the Love Island star, it's a very different thing. And I think that, yeah. I know which one I'd rather be lining my brand with. Yeah, absolutely. I guess uh, maybe I'm just asking a bit much on this next question, but is there anything that's next for these guys that you could maybe show anything that you're working on now that that's really sort of driving your interest? Um, I mean, listen, as I said, it's a real privilege working with someone like Cammy because um, he's constantly got something on the go. Obviously with the last sort of 16 mm. months we've had the COVID, it's been a bit of a sort of stop start. But again, with the World Cup being next year, they're always um, fascinating years to sort of work with the likes of Cammy and, and people like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and um, Jeff, because again, brands at the start of the year will want to be aligning themselves with certain ambassadors um, to bring their campaigns to life later in the year. I think with the fact that the World Cup's obviously in the Middle East, um, I'm not too sure that brands will be doing many activations over there. So I do think that um, with it being a winter tournament, um, November, Dece um, November and December, I think we're going to see a lot of the the England national team sponsors and the actual tournament sponsors activating in Europe and, and certainly London. So there will be a lot of work um, around that. Um, I don't want to say too much about um, specifics of projects, but 
there's a couple of things that are quite exciting that we're, we're fingers crossed about to get over the line with Cami. One's a, a relatively big um, daytime show, but yeah, I, I, my lips are sealed. Nice. Nice. Well, we'll keep our ear to the ground on that one. Sounds pretty exciting. Um, I guess to take a sidestep then into uh, Dark Horses. So that was a, a creative agency that, that you're the founder of. I guess, could you help ex uh, explain to our viewers maybe what it is, what drove you to found the company and um, yeah, yeah, what what were your ambitions? Very much so. So, I, so I'm back in 2014. I, um, I was actually invited into an agency called BBH to help them set up BBH Sport and um, and that was a, my first experience of working in a creative agency. And I had a great time really understanding how advertising agencies work. And that gave me the idea to sort of set up my own sports-focused creative agency. I knew I couldn't do that myself. I knew I didn't have the skill set to do that. So I approached um, the people that I regard as best of class in the world of disruptive, provocative marketing advertising. That, that was the founders of Lucky Generals. So the founders of Lucky Generals um, co-founded Dark Horses with me in June 2016. Um, yeah, five, over five years ago now, um, wonderful five years. Um, we built the agency up from sort of one employee, i.e. me, to a team of around 55 people. Um, we've worked with the likes of Nissan, Peloton, Justy, Puma, Under Armour, some really big, well-known, and TikTok um, household brands. Um, we've won numerous awards. Adweek voted us the fastest growing agency in the world. Um, sorry, the fifth fastest advertising agency in the world in 2019. Um, we won campaign magazines, best place to work for two years in a row. And so, yeah, it's a fantastic business. I was very, very privileged and blessed to be surrounded by some amazing people. Um, I actually uh, stepped down as MD last summer um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and we brought in um, a new CEO who's been wonderful. And so the last 12 months, the agency has really navigated um, the sort of the pandemic very well. And I said off the back of um, a very tough 12 months. This summer was hugely successful for the agency working with TikTok and Just Eat the Euros. Um, but yeah, a brilliant creative agency. Arguably the only creative agency that's solely focused in the world of sport. There are a number of competitors now. Um, obviously, Dark Horse is the name probably gives away what we were trying to do. And that was obviously to to work with the underdog and, and sort of work with brands that wants to punch above their weight and take a few people by surprise. And, and we, we succeeded in doing that, I suppose. Where we got to after um, no longer being the underdog was, was quite an interesting thing, um, sort of as a proposition for the business. But that's something the guys are working on. I'm no longer involved um, in the day-to-day -day of the agency. I'm obviously still a shareholder. But um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant um, agency, fantastic place to work. And they're going from strength to strength. It does sound good. And I think the performance figures and the, and the kind of awards speak to themselves. It is not an easy thing to get an award within any, any agency at all. For, for, for you then, what was the kind of secret for success on the thing that you maybe prided yourself on there to, to achieve what you managed to achieve? Because there's some big accolades. Hmm. Yeah, look, I think was the, the sort of the mantra that I always had to myself was surround yourself with people who are brighter than you. And as I said at the outset, I knew that I couldn't launch an advertising agency myself. Um, so I approached three people who were and still are best in class at that. So that was a really, um, I suppose, enlightening moment for me. I think in my career historically up to that point, whether working as an agent, whether launching a sports memorabilia business, um, I even launched a publishing company once. Um, I always sort of felt that I had to do things by myself, whereas the sort of moment of realising actually there's nothing wrong with you know never being the smartest person in the room 
um, was actually a sort of the reason why it worked. And I think the early years, you know, we didn't have our first fee paying client for six months. So it was a bit, you know, it wasn't sort of all plain sailing, but I think the, the, the sort of coming together, the marriage of my um, contacts in the world of sport, my tenacity, and the talent that um, Helen, Danny and Andy brought from Lucky Generals was a really potent mix. And I think that once we got the proposition right around dark horses and our strap line of being for those wanting to break away from the field, um, it just re- it just worked really well. And I think the, the agency grew really quickly and I suppose it was, it was brilliant. Um, obviously, I'd had no experience of, of running a business that size that had grown so quickly. So it, mm. it came with its sort of ups and downs but yeah no it, you know I, I can claim little credit I was sort of and, and the, the, the team used to joke about it, I used to call myself a sort of conductor and all I used to do is make sure that everyone's instrument was working and I would be sort of at the front wave my arms a bit and, and they would all bring it to life so yeah I, I can claim little credit for the success but it was a privilege to be part of it. Absolutely no it sounds good uh, what was the main kind of um, I guess advantages or disadvantages in your eyes of working for an agency I, I know when I've been speaking to people before you know there's there's people that absolutely love it there's people that maybe want to get out of it as soon as they can I've had some great agency experience but mm. was there anything that you could say gosh if it wasn't for agency you know I wouldn't have this or I wouldn't have that I, I can imagine for you particularly working with so many big brands it's enlightened you in terms of you know, what these big brands work for, which I can then presume has helped you within, you know, the sand management side of things as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest positives or pluses of working with agency was obviously the people you get to work with. I think the, the variety of work was brilliant because obviously, you know, one minute we'd be working with Nissan activating their Champions League partnership um, and effectively somewhere down the line helping them sell cars. The next would be launching an unknown brand called Peloton in 2018 that no one had heard of. And people thought, well, that's never going to work. Who's going to buy that? You know, and so a real, real variety of clients and a real variety of, you know, institutions, whether, you know, the likes of Nissan having clients across New York, Tokyo, sorry, New York, Yokohama and Paris, you know, Peloton having East Coast USA clients, but a real variety of time zones, characters, and that just kept it really fresh and, and really interesting. Um, and, I, and I really enjoyed that. And I think that's what um, I think as well for agencies, they're very fortunate, very lucky because you just get that variety and you can one minute have a startup who wants to launch the market and one minute it's an, it's an established brand. So I think that variety really keeps mm. people on their toes and it keeps the learning. I mean, I, I'm you know, and I know we'll come on to sort of talking about reading podcasts. I am, I love learning. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real student of, of, of brands, of marketing, of sort of personal development. And I think working in a creative agency is brilliant because you get to meet some incredibly motivated and inspiring people who, who are your clients. Yeah, I guess as well, that's the only way you're going to win clients is by showing you are motivated, you are the best and there's no one else that's better. That's how you win pitches, right? But like you say, equally, the people on the other side, the clients themselves are so into their business that, like Mm. you say, you learn a hell of a lot. So that's a really good point because we had, we were very, and and the agency still is to this day, um, very keen to build a brand ourselves. And, you know, Dark Horses stood for something. We had, you know, a brilliant culture. We were famed for the, the culture we built. Um, we had a highly motivated team. We had a really good team, really good team spirit. And 
you know, we stood for something as a business. And I think that especially when we were dealing with um, brands, new brands or startups, a lot of the conversation would be almost a bit like, well, you clearly know what you're doing because you've built your brand, you stamp something, you've got an identity, you've got a great logo, you've got a great look and feel, you all live and breathe your brand, you all are underdogs, you behave like underdogs. You, you, when you pitched, you didn't sound arrogant, you, 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 know, you wanted to take us by surprise. So I think there was, that was a huge learning for me, was that it wasn't just about you know, a name, a logo, let's go to work. It was actually standing yeah. for something in our industry and working with other people who we wanted to be aligned with. Because a lot of the time we, we, we opted not to pitch for certain businesses because we didn't feel they were right for dark horses. Yeah, completely agree. And that's the thing. I think you've got to go for go for it when you know it's right and not be worried to not go for it when you know that it's going to be too much work or you're not quite yeah. the right fit culturally. So yeah, it's always kind of, I think the best agencies are very selective in who they work with for the right reasons, for sure. Taking yeah. a bit of a sidestep then to the, the British Sports Museum. So to prior to mm. the world of, of talent management and advertising, you're into sports memorabilia shopping in Covent Garden. So, you know, maybe you could just yeah. tell us a little bit about how that went yeah, down. Yeah, so when, when I fell out of the legal profession, um, I'd always collected sports memorabilia. And again, it was one of those light bulb moments. Um, it was 2007. Um, I'd had no experience of retail, no experience of sales. Um, and But yeah, I thought, well, look, this is something I'm really passionate about. So I... I I opened a shop, as you do, um, in one of the most expensive parts of London real estate, um, retail <laughs> real estate, which was great, except the, the world economy crashed about six months later. So that was that was a very interesting experience, but it was a brilliant experience for sales. I mean, I'm, I personally manned the shop seven days a week. I opened it, I closed it. So, you know, from 9 a.m. till 8 p.m., seven days a week for 15, 16 months, I was there. Um, I had no staff. Um, it was really before the, the booming of Amazon. Um, online retail was obviously kicking off, but again, it wasn't really the mainstay. Um, obviously, fast forward to today, um, that business was sold and um, that was then the retail business and it was sold to the British Sports Museum, who I now have a percentage of. But it was a brilliant experience and it was one of the, the, the ways that I actually ended up meeting a lot of sports talent. So. As I mentioned, I was um, running nightclub, nightclub parties, promoting parties in the sort of higher nightclubs in London. So that afforded me a lot of instruction to one of those sports personalities. But obviously, obviously, when you're you're working in the world of memorabilia, we were, a lot of the stuff we were selling was sort of high-end match-worn items. So I was getting to meet a lot of well-known players, um, boxers, golfers, cricketers, um, through that as well. So yeah, it was all sort of dragging me towards ultimately the world of talent management. Great stuff. And it's, it's quite clear to me as well that that's where your passion lies. That's where your kind of real niche yeah. or, or kind of um, speciality is really. Mm. But again, it, you know, the, to, to, to sort of document the, the experience of sort of having a shop. I mean, it's one of the big things it taught me was patience because we were, we were selling aesthetically lovely pieces of whether they were signed um, prints, paintings, balls, they were almost artifacts. So a lot of people would come in and browse. So, you, you know, the, the, the probably cheapest item we have would be probably 200 pounds going up to sort of 15,000. So you would, it wouldn't just be coming in and buying something. Most people that purchase, there'll be a customer journey that would take over a period of weeks. 
So every customer you'd mm. get to know and then you'd set the sale on. And that was a real lesson for me in, in sales because it's like anything, whether it's, you know, trying to transfer a player to a new, new team, whether it's trying to win a, a creative agency pitch, um, these are things that can take time and you can't rush. And also, if you don't make the sale, it doesn't matter. You move on to the next. And I think that not catastrophizing, not winning a pitch or getting a move, I, I really did learn that um, in, in a shop. I think that encompasses it pretty perfectly, really, in that don't be scared to do things because you don't actually know where you might end up. So I think that's really, really important. How did you market then that shopping? Was it just about getting people in and building those relationships oh, or was there other things I you mean, were trying to do to get your name out there? It was interesting. I mean, we, we as I said, it was it was me. So I would and I was obviously working the shop. So I tried a whole host of things. I mean, I was doing flyer drops across London overnight some night. So I would get on my bike, Gosh. I'd go to affluent areas and I would letterbox drop 10,000 flyers between... 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. Obviously, you know, out with the, the, the sort of foxes, the cats, the police. Um, that would be a regular thing weekly. Um, you know, I would try and trace the success rate. I'd have email database I'd use. Um, I would do events in the shop. And actually, to be honest, the events in the shop, probably the things that had the most success. So we were on Great Queen Street right. in Covent Garden. And I still meet people today, actually, who used to be customers. But we, um, on Thursday evenings, we'd lay on drinks. I'd get a sports personality to come along and do a talk. And yeah, we'd just have a host little events from sort of seven till nine. And yeah, you'd be amazed how much you can sell after people had a drink inside them. Um, that, that, that was quite <laughs> useful uh, marketing, but I, I don't recommend that in all marketing. Um, but no, so yeah, it was just really build, building, building networks really. Um, but yeah, that, that 10 years ago in retail was obviously a very different time. Um, if I had it again, I mean, the British Sports Museum now, as it lives, is a very is a thriving website and Amazon store. Um, and it doesn't have any real estate or, or retail units. So yeah, we're actually at the moment um, looking at a few pop-up sites for December in the city. And I'm sort of waking up in cold sweats a bit thinking about you know, is that person going to come in? Are they not? And I'm, I'm not sure I'm quite prepared to revisit that time. I've said to my partner in that business, that I'm not manning the shop because I, I can't, I can't face the, the sort of the anxiety of that again. Gosh, no, I think um, you've kind of all been there, done that now, haven't you? But I can appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's almost very challenging times coming out of COVID, isn't it? As well, when, you know, we're not sure what the footfall is going to be like on the streets and we're not kind of sure who will be there and who won't be there. But um, it all sounds super exciting. And it sounds well, like, you know, you're starting to is Obviously, is that a lot of these um, empty um, inner city, you know, retail units, um, the landlords are prepared to do deals. So there's, you know, yeah. I suppose pop up is the, the, the trendy term for it. But basically, we, you know, we'd, we'd, we've just approached a number of empty units that we've um, identified in, in near Covent Garden, Liverpool Street and a couple of other places and said, look, do you, you know, for the month of December, do you want X? And, and we'll lock up when we're done. And they, they you know, it's, nice. it's a pretty straightforward deal for them because if they're not getting money any other way, why wouldn't they? Hmm. It's one of those supply and demand games, really, isn't it? You're helping them totally. and they're, you know, vice versa. And I do think um, as well that the city will be back, certainly in December. I do think retail will be, I think we'll have a normal Christmas from a retail point of view. 
Yeah, I think people love deals too much. I think by, yeah. by Black Friday, people will be out on the streets. Um, well, people love Christmas force, too really. much as well. And I think they've been robbed of yeah. that recently. They have, absolutely. So here's to making sure that 2021 is a more normal, more normal yeah. year. Um, thinking forward then for you, like in terms of maybe what's happened over the pandemic or maybe what's on mm-hmm. the horizon for you next, are there any kind of key learnings that you've got or any kind of key projects that you're really passionate about and getting involved in these days? Yeah, so I've, I've been very fortunate to be involved recently in a couple of venture capital projects. Obviously, it's something that I am, um, I suppose, inadvertently, I've become um, involved with, really, because I've had so many businesses. Some have gone well, some haven't. And I suppose my knowledge is, is of use to a number of founders. So that's something that I am <clears throat> in the foothills of exploring, which is really exciting. And then I suppose from a from a, a talent point of view, um, there's some really exciting things happening. Um, I don't want to say too much at this stage. Obviously, I'm going to update you um, hopefully in a couple of months' time. But yeah, that's something where um, I suppose my experiences in creative over the last sort of seven, eight years at BBH and Dark Horses, um, I really understand a lot more about brand strategy and creative now. And I suppose marrying that with my um, historical relationship with talent, I think is going to be uh, really interesting. So yeah. Without saying too much, watch this space. Awesome. Sounds good. I guess what we'll do is anyone who's viewing a few days from release, you're going to be in the dark, but anyone who's watching two months down the road, hopefully we've got some links that you can, we can put <laughs> yeah. in the description or explain what Simon's yeah. talking about, which hopefully might make a bit more yeah. sense. But no, that sounds that sounds great. Um, I guess a little bit about you then to finish off with. Are there any trends uh, or topics, podcasts, things that you really like to listen to or get involved with or conferences that are shouting out anything that you just like to keep on top of to learn the latest and greatest marketing insight? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I suppose um, from a, a yeah, marketing in its purest sense, I mean, I'm obviously, I suppose, what I'd put in the sort of sports marketing world. Um, I do, I, I, I'm a regular listener to the unofficial podcast. Um, which is um, a fantastic sort of sports industry podcast. Um, I also am a big fan of Mark Whittle's Take Flight, which is a really interesting, I, I guess you'd put it in the personal development bracket. Mark's become a good friend. I was a guest on his podcast a couple of years ago. Since then, we, we've done a lot of work together. Um, and so I suppose that they're my, my two go-to uh, from a more sort of, I suppose, pure football and, and talent management point of view. There's a brilliant podcast called Done Deal, um, which Daniel G hosts. But yeah, listen, I'm, um, I do quite a lot of running in my spare time. So I, it allows me um, to listen to quite a lot of podcasts. So big fan of Michael Chernow's um, Born or Made, Rich Roll podcast. So yeah, I, I, I do listen to a, to a lot of podcasts. And when it comes to reading, again, I'm sort of, there's a yeah huge amount of books I go through probably sort of two or three a month. Um, I won't bore you with the titles, but I'm sure there's, um, again, we'll, we'll put them in the, the links to the show, but some you would call I suppose marketing but some you put in the sort of I get guess personal development sort of bracket awesome all links are welcome and that sounds great I think uh, yeah thanks for joining us on on the podcast today Simon I've, I've definitely learned a lot on our views I'm sure we'll have as well all the links and notes we'll put down below um but yeah thank you very much for your time and we'll catch up soon brilliant thanks for having me on cheers no worries thanks Simon bye bye